Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. My brother, Jesse, I'm reporting for duty, and I'm actually, uh, I'll just say it as I say it as clear as I can, brother. I'm the Lebanese lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Lebanese lover of Our Lady. And yourself, Jess? I'm reporting for duty, Terry, and I'm the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady. And, and Jesse, and today, ready to go. you bet, today's a special day. It was 44 years ago, Pope Paul VI came out with Hermione Vitae, and it rocked the Catholic Church. And it's still rocking the Catholic Church inside the Vatican today. And so I just want to thank Pope Paul VI for standing up for life regarding Hermione Vitae. If it's a good day for you to read it, read that document. Also, Jesse, this is the Feast of St. James. I want to have you talk a little bit about him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have our good friend uh, Charles Cologne, who uh, will be here in the second segment and throughout the show talking with us. He's coming out with a new show on Virgin Most Powerful. I love our lineup, Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Uh, Bishop Joseph Strickland, uh, Charles Cologne, Jess Romero, myself, all the guys, Matt Arnold, all these people who have one thing in common. It's our great love for Jesus and his church. So uh, I just want to say we're also going to talk about our good friend, Father Heilman. He's been called out uh, by his local bishop in Wisconsin, I think unjustly, and we'll get into that. Uh, also, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the CDC this is so bad, I have to say, our government is doing what? Directs LGBT children to secretive chats about sex changes, activism, the occult? Is this microphone on? Give me a break. Also, Jess, we're going to talk about a good news story. A Michigan coach, he's uh, urging his, in his talk at a, at a conference here to stand up for life, and he has a really great witness of how he's standing up, and he's going to pay a price for that. And then I've got some good news stories and Jess, I know you always have good news stories, but I like this good news story. The Canadian gold medal figure skater, she's willing to lose everything to fight the COVID narrative. I respect people. Wow. She's been uh, very popular in Canada since 2002 when she won her gold medal. And she's saying, you know what? Life is short. I'm gonna, the truth is more important than my prestige. And then one more good news story, and I'll turn it to you, Jess. And that's the Russian lawmaker's are considering a total ban on LGBT propaganda. Jesse, did you hear that? Mm. You know, we condemn them in a lot of ways, and I understand. But you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to keep out immorality, and I commend them for that. Absolutely. That's, uh, they're trying to protect their country from going woke. Yep. Terry, there's also a pretty good news story. There's a Democrat border mayor, yep. Yolanda Ramon of yep. Eagle Pass, Texas, She's in total disagreement with the Biden administration. She's in total disagreement with the DHS secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, yeah. who's downplayed the crisis at the southern border. Uh, Democrat Mayor Yolanda Ramon says, quote, quote, well, that's his opinion, but I wish he would come over here so that he can maybe change his mind. This is what the mayor said, the Democrat mayor. She, the, the mayor also noted that big city mayors on the coasts California and New York are now feeling the effects of illegal immigration. This Democrat mayor said, obviously, if you have the mayors from Washington and New York, now they understand what we're going through because they're seeing it themselves. So we're hoping that maybe the federal government up there in Washington is seeing what's happening here. (laughs) What about this story? Male woman of the year. The University of Pennsylvania (laughs) has nominated transgender swimmer Leah Thomas, a biological male who identifies as a woman. For the National Collegiate Athletic Association, Woman's Year, uh, Woman of the Year Award. The award recognizes female student athletes who have exhausted their eligibility and distinguished themselves in their community in athletics and academics throughout their college careers. 
Thomas, a male, began competing in women's sports back in 2019 after ranking low among male swimmers. Interesting. How about this? Mom versus LGBTQ movement in sports. Kim Jones, the mother of an Ivy League swimmer on Monday, blasted the University of Pennsylvania for nominating transgender swimmer Leah Thomas for the NCAA's Woman of the Year Award. God bless her. Kim Jones, the mom of an Ivy League swimmer, said, the message is they're not even worthy of dignity and comfort in their locker rooms. And this nomination is just the embodiment of that message. Kim Jones, uh, said, she, said this, she said this about swimmers like her daughter uh, having to compete with males like Leah Thomas. Also, Biden, the, Biden pharmacists must provide abortion pills. This is wicked. The Biden administration has warned pharmacies that they'll be liable under federal anti-discrimination law if they do not provide abortion-causing drugs. Pro-life leaders are pushing back, arguing that the administration is violating pharmacists' conscious rights. In addition, the move would inappropriately supersede state laws that protect women and children from these dangerous drugs. Uh, And Terry, this is why, as Catholics... Uh, we must vote the Democrats out of office this coming November. Yes, and Jesse, noting that, I just see that we have Charles Cologne with us. Charles, welcome to our show, my friend. You're, you're always welcome to join us. Thanks. Great to be back. Well, and we're going to be talking about your new show here on Virgin Most Powerful. But Jesse and, and, and Charles, I want to also focus these good news stories where people are standing up for the faith. We need more and more of that. I want to encourage people because life is short and eternity is forever. And I want to just bring up now, Jesse, if we can, that the gospel, not the gospel, but the first reading for the Feast of St. James. And I'll tell you why, Jesse, before you read this Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to 15, I think you've experienced this in your own life this summer, some of the things that are being said in this reading. So if you could be so good to read that chapter uh, 4 of Second of Corinthians. Yeah, uh, this summer, just saying, I'm just I've just recovered from a prostate, a large prostate surgery. Mm-hmm. I had a, a Foley catheter on for four weeks. Yep. I don't know if you know how uncomfortable that oh, is. Must be. I had a urinary infection as a result of having the Foley catheter on so long. Before that, I had a urinary retention problems. So uh, I'm healed from that, thanks be to God. Amen. Now I'm dealing with. Uh, I got shingles as a result of the, as a result of the urinary problems. Uh, my shingles have dried up and it's been about three months. Now I'm just dealing with the nerve damage for the shingles. So I know a little bit about redemptive suffering. This has been a summer of, not a summer of shame for me or not a summer of rage, but a summer summer of penance. Yeah. Why don't you, hey, Jesse, (laughs) man, come on, give me a break. This suffering, but you know what Jess did and we all preach it and that is redemptive suffering. The church needs this today. So that's why everyone listening can participate in the mission of the church. Let's get that reading in, Jess. Yeah, what I was doing is three times a day, I was I was in prayer, offering up my sufferings morning, midday, and evening to the Lord, uniting it to the foot of the cross, that Jesus Christ may do with it as he wills in reparation for my sins and the sins of my family in the world. Today's uh, reading, the first reading at Holy Mass, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and following. Brothers and sisters, we hold this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing power may be of God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not constrained, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, 
always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. It reminds me of the stigmatist. Mm. Talk about people who acutely carried the life of Jesus in their bodies. For we who live are constantly being given up to death for the sake of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's called redemptive suffering. Yep. Okay. It's just uh, offering your sufferings, uniting them with Jesus Christ uh, to the wood of the cross. That's called redemptive suffering. And that's what St. Paul just talked about right here. So, and by the way, Protestants don't know what to do with these verses. It just goes over their head. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since then, we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written. I believed, therefore I spoke. We too believe and therefore speak, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and place place us with you in his presence. Everything indeed is for you, so that the grace bestowed in abundance on more and more people may cause the thanksgiving to overflow for the glory of God. The, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a great reading. Gosh. You know what this reading tells us is... is all of us are dying. Yes. Some of us are just in, 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 you know, in the front of the line. All of us are dying. <laughs> yeah. The, some of us are just in the front of the line. That's what that says. And so you could either become better or bitter as a result of suffering. You become better when you unite your sufferings to Christ because you're doing a yeoman's job for the body of Christ. But if you don't offer your sufferings uh, and unite them with the Lord because you don't know about redemptive suffering, you're just going to become bitter and your sufferings are in vain. We call that wasted pain. Think of the hospitals that could become atomic power plants, spiritually speaking, if everyone in these hospitals understood redemptive suffering. Thanks, Jess, for that. How about, uh, let's talk a little bit about St. James the Apostle. St. James the Apostle, today's, today's his feast day. Yep. He was, uh, he was uh, the brother of John the Apostle. Jesus called James and John uh, at the Sea of Galilee. They were mending their, their nets. Uh, the mother approached our Lord Jesus Christ later on in the Gospels, and she asked our Lord if her sons could be seated on one side of Jesus in his kingdom. But Jesus Christ told them and the mom, you do not know what you are asking. And he's, Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they declared. Well, guess what? James did drink from that cup because, in fact, he was the first apostle to share in the cup of martyrdom. He was killed by the sword under Herod Agrippa, around the year 44 AD. So he did share the cup of martyrdom Amen. with the Lord Jesus Christ. And his brother John the Apostle, he said to have died in exile on the island of Patmos. He died an old man. They tried to kill him. They could not boil him in oil. But uh, these two apostles, one suffered red martyrdom, the other one suffered white martyrdom. Well said, Jesse. We're going to come back and uh, get Bishop Sheen into this because I know we got to take a quick break. And we'll be talking to Charles Colon about his new show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. This will inspire you, especially this quote from Fulton Sheen. It sounds like he was alive and today in the church with this one comment. Stay with us to hear Bishop Sheen, Charles Cologne, Jess Romero, Terry Barber here serving you, Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888 888- Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. We have Charles Cologne with us. I'd like to say, first of all, Charles, Jess and I are too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. 
And if hope was money, we'd be billionaires because we are optimists because we know who wins at the end of the story. Well, welcome, my brother. Before I I welcome you, I want to also uh, talk about Fulton Sheen and then get your response. And then I want to hear a little bit. And Jess and I both want to hear about your new show in September starting here on Virgin Most Powerful. So let's get Full Sheen ahead in first. Let's bring that train in. Mr. Full Sheen ahead. Here's what Bishop Sheen has to say today. The conflict of the future will be between a God religion and a state religion, between Christ and the Antichrist, but in a political disguise. Jesse, I think you've quoted that uh, quote from Sheen before. Your thoughts? Charles. Charles, you're first. Historian Charles. Oh, I'm sorry. I... <laughs> I'm saying, what are your thoughts, Charles, on the conf- on the conflict that Bishop Sheen is talking about? The conflict of the future will be between a God religion and a state religion. I wanted to hear your thoughts because you, because of your background in history, it seems like what Fulton Sheen is saying is happening today. Well, the first thing we, we've got to remember... Tell me. The first thing we've got to remember is that um, every state, every human society... Mm-hmm has a state religion. True. It's always the case, an animating principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Soviet Union, it was communism. Right. There is no God and Lenin is his prophet. <laughs> that, that was, and that state religion will set the tone, it'll set the rules of morality, it'll give legitimacy right. to the rulership. Now that's just the way every society is. Always have been, always will be. That's true here and now for all we talk about separation of church and state. There may be separation of my church and the state. Oh, yes. But the state will always have and must always have a state church. Got it. Now, having said that, it then becomes a question of what's the nature of that state church. Mm. Is it true or is it false? Good question. And that... In uh, in the Catholic states of yore, and a few places even today, it's the Catholic Church. And there, if the local Catholic Church is strong and does its job, it acts on the one hand as a watchdog about on the state's morality, you mm-hmm. might say. But on the other hand, it's a huge strength to the state because the church always inculcates obedience to just rulers. Amen. The only rulers that have to fear the church are unjust rulers. Yep. And they have every reason to fear, God knows. And I'm not saying, I mean, if I'm a murderer by trade, yeah. I have every right to fear the police. Now, that doesn't mean any of this is good, you understand. I get it. All right. So the problem then is always not, shall we have separation of church and state? You're never going to have that. It doesn't exist. It's a myth. Mm-hmm. It's the tooth fairy. Yep. The question will be, what will animate the state? Uh, got it. And now, having said all of that, yes, we look at uh, Fulton Sheen's quote. Say it one more time. All right. He says, The conflict of the future will be between a God religion and a state religion, between Christ and the Antichrist, but in a political disguise. Precisely. Because, as it was at the time of Nero and Caligula, mm-hmm. If the state religion ultimately belongs to state to Satan, yeah. then in some sense, so too will the state. Wow, that's a powerful statement you just said. Well, it's true. Yeah. Now, mind you, these are things 
lest we get too excited, yeah. remember that whenever we're in a state of mortal sin, yes. we're children of Satan. Well said. That's right. So, I mean, you don't have to say, oh, my gosh, the, the eye in the pyramid is... Yeah. You and I, at various times in our life, at least if we're over the age of reason... That's right. We have been servants of Satan. I agree. Yeah. And that... The, the trick, of course, is to catch on to the gag. Yeah, stay in the state of grace. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And to realize you've got a problem. Yeah. But if you don't realize you've got a problem, then you persist in that state. Mm. And what's true of individuals is true of countries, it's true of governments. Well said there. Mm-hmm. And this, this is very important because it's at once terribly hopeful and terribly horrible. Yeah. Now, to look at us as Americans... Part of being an American, at least until relatively recently, was that you were brought up not simply to love your country as patriotism, yeah. but to idolize its government and its form, its political forms. Yes. The Constitution was holy writ mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And might, I'm not going to go to the opposite and say, oh, they're all terrible. No, no. Point. We get that. Um, the problem is this was an uncritical way of looking at things, and it was an uncatholic way of looking at things. Something is good to the degree that it serves God. Right. To the degree that it does not, it is evil. That's a good definition. It's really that simple. Yeah. Now, having said all of that, we look at our at our setup. Mm-hmm. Where the Constitution, for most of our history, allowed Catholics the opportunity, which we shamefully did not take, to evangelize our country. Yeah. To that degree, the Constitution was a great thing. Mm-hmm. To the degree that it, as the, the shamans in the Supreme Court discovered, you know, they rattled the bones and they, they took out the magic spectacles Joseph Smith had. Yeah. And they saw in the Constitution, oh, what do we see here? We see the right to murder your infant. We see the right to contracept. Yeah. We see the right to same-sex marriage. Oh, horrible. So in doing that, to the degree that that is what the Constitution is or was, to that degree it was evil. Yeah, I get it. And I that, get it. so it's not, we make mistakes, shall we say, in, in, some, in the things we should be very hard and fast about, we're laissez-faire. And in the things that we should be more, well, it's a bit gray, it's a bit that, then we get very rigid. Got it. Hmm. Let me let me jump in and change gears here and ask Charles a question about what do you think, Charles, about uh, what's happening in our country, these canceled priests? Father Richard Heilman, he just got canceled over the weekend by the Bishop of Madison, uh, Donald Hine. He took disciplinary action against him for making a political statement. I guess Father Richard Heilman questioned the elections. But he's not the first one. Father Z, uh, you know, Father Altman, many others. Priests are being canceled. I, I guess... Uh, well, my question to you, when, when is this and when is this going to stop? Why is it happening? And would you say that the first person that was canceled, was it uh, Marcel Lefebvre? <laughs> well, Marcel Lefebvre was uh, not only canceled. And, and this, this is something I, I've said before in various venues. I'm going to say it again. Regardless of what you think of the Society of St. Pius X, regardless of what you think of Archbishop Lefebvre's subsequent actions, the consecrations, mm-hmm. so regardless of all that, mm-hmm. it's important to bear in mind that the drama of the latter part of his life 
started really in 1976 when he appealed to the Apostolic Signatura to review his suspension. Yes. And the Secretary of State forbade the, the Signatura to hear the case. Right. I remember that. That Snyder said. Mm -hmm. This is such a basic injustice. And it's got terrible, terrible repercussions because when you have the very highest authorities in the church abusing canon law... Yes, like we have now. Well, indeed. When you have that, you have a state kind of like Chicago under Al Capone. Oh, boy, yeah. You've got a judge. You've got judges. You've got a mayor. You've got police. But it's all sort of kabuki. Yeah. It doesn't really... I mean, in a larger sense, it does mean anything. It does mean important things. The mayorality, the police, the police uh, department, all those things have a certain reality which transcends whatever immediate garbage they're going through. Yeah. The fact that uh, Mayor Moron is on the take doesn't change the, yes, relative majesty of the office of mayor. And this, is, this distinction between office and individual is something we have to make. Make the distinction, yeah. Always. But having said that... Yes. With Archbishop Lefebvre, yes, he was faced with a nightmare situation. Now you can argue till the cows come home about uh, whether or not he did the right thing, but what you can't argue is that his actions were precipitated by a terrible injustice yeah. that ought never to have happened, and an injustice for which I have no doubt souls were held accountable after they went to their respective rewards. Charles. Bishop Snyder, in his book, says exactly the same thing. So you're on the same page as him. But let me just, let me just, we'll talk about Bishop, uh, this Father Heilman, but I just want to focus, if I could, you're going to be doing a show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio in September. And it's from like historical perspectives, from miracles, how God has intervened into the church history. Can you share a little bit of what your vision is once a week? You're, you're, you're tuning in. You're going to be right between Bishop Strickland and, and Bishop Snyder and all of our programming because we believe you have something to offer of hope for our listeners. Well, indeed. Uh, the title of it is going to be The Never-Ending Struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, one thing you've got to bear in mind about church history is with all history. Tell me. What is history? Well, I'll tell you. History is the working out of the divine will in time against the background of innumerable fallen and free wills. Yes, well said. That's history. I like that definition. Well, it's it's the only one that makes sense. Yeah. Because we see it constantly. We see God's will gets accomplished easier if we go along. I mean, easier for us personally. Sure. If we go along. Harder if we refuse. <laughs> but one way or the other... It's going to be accomplished. Now, the history of the church is a series of episodes, some glorious, some horrible, which illustrate this very fact. And through it all, the church, time and again, goes through horrible periods of of, uh, not just destruction, but sometimes self-degradation. And she goes through periods of triumph. And against those historical ups and downs, individuals like you, Jesse, and me have to work out our salvation with the never-changing requirements of salvation. Hmm. So in other words, if we're in a time where everything's riding high, the banners are flying, the, the beautiful coats of armor are on display, 
well, that's nice. We still have to go to the sacraments and do the works of mercy. Mm-hmm. If we're in a terrible position, the church is in hiding. Uh, all the clergy we know have, have have surrendered to the enemy, or they're dead. Yeah, we still have to somehow <laughs> do the same things. Sure, and because Charles, we all and Jesse jump in here. Universal call to holiness. I, I'm I don't worship the Pope, the Bishop, the Cardinals. I worship Jesus Christ. So all these scandals that we see. Yes, it's undermining the authority of the church. Yes, it's undermining people's faith. But what I tell people, and then Justin and myself, we're always, keep your eyes on Jesus. Be holy. Hey, when we come back, Charles, we're going to talk more about the bishop, um, about Father Heilman. Yeah, but also, also, want, oh, also ahead, want to ask, I want to ask Charles the next, about what he thinks about the CDC. Uh, this government agency is uh, <laughs> now directing LGBT children to secret chats. I want, uh, I want to get Charles' horrible. take on that. Yep. yep, and much, much more about... And, We'll be back with more with Charles Cologne. We'll be doing a new show on Virgin Most Powerful. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Jesse, go ahead. You had that question for for Charles. Yeah, Charles. What My question to you is, what do you think about the CDC at this point in time in history? I mean, uh, the Center for Disease Control right now is directing LGBT children to secret chats about sex changes, <laughs> activism, the occult, behind their parents' back. They're, they're fishing for minors, those be, you know between 13 and 19, and they're hiding these chats from their parents, and they're focused on mature themes that, that are immoral, uh, my question to you is, what's your take on the CDC right now? Do you believe right now at this point it's, uh, it's part of the culture of death? It's part of the agents of Satan? It's part of the New World Order? Uh, <laughs> give me your take on the CDC and what they're doing to our children. Well, you really want me to tell them? Go ahead. No, I, I mean, you know, uh, the no child left alone policy. <laughs> yeah, really. But, uh, no, uh, I mean, again, it takes us back to Fulton Sheen. That arm of the government has transformed itself into an agent of the devil. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a fact. I mean, it, it's just, look, one of the most horrible things anyone can do and that the devil loves is the ruin of innocence. Yes, mm-hmm. that's true. It is desecration, just, you know, pouring excrement on holy pictures. Yeah. This, this is the kind of thing the devil loves. And there is nothing more in the image of God than an innocent child. Because that, a hu- an innocent human being is as close to Christ and to Our Lady as you're ever going to get. Amen. A, a, it's just, that's the way it is. Yep. Now, every child uh, prior to puberty has about a 10-year, as they call it, latency period, mm-hmm. during which the kid's personality gets formed. Before the storm of, pu- of puberty. Yeah. In other words, you need to be Jesse Romero, or you need to be Terry Barber, or Charles Coulomb, or Mary Smith. Yeah. Before you begin worrying about uh, sex and women and men and all the rest of it, you need to be you first. Yeah. And that's what that latency period is intended for, and that's what parents have the God-given duty to protect, if they can, against all comers. Now, one of those covers, unfortunately, 
is now the CDC. Yep. So what, you know, the, the first thing you've got to bear in mind, you've got to raise your kids so that they will turn to you when they're faced with this stuff. So with, if, if your kid says, you know, there's these conversations that are being sponsored, number one, you should have the kind of relationship where they'll talk to you about it. Yes. And number two, in any way you can, you've got to come down on it with all four feet as hard as you can. Now, how does that work? Well, let's pretend for a second. I'm just pulling rabbits out of hats. But mm-hmm. if you've got an imagination and some kind of interest in this sort of thing, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. Your kid comes to you with this thing. Your next step is to call your congressman, quite literally. Hmm. Quite literally. And say, this is not what the tax money you're yanking out of me is going to. Amen. If I wanted to corrupt my child, I'd sell him on the street myself. Well said. I'd, I'd get him into porn. I'm sure I can find contacts. But I don't want to do that. Because like I'm his dad and stuff. So you, Mr. Congressman, you find a way out of this. Why is my son or my daughter uh, being subjected to this garbage? Yeah. You've got to find someone to pin responsibility on and then jump on that person. You could call the CDC, the, uh, but you'll find that federal bureaucrats tend not to care. Amen. So you're better off with a congressman. If you know a judge, that's always fun. Speak to a lawyer about the possibility of some kind of class action suit if you can get together with other parents. Because this is going on in your school, and there's another place you can start pressuring. The school itself, if they're somehow connected to this program. Got it. But find find out how this how the thing is working. How do they get to have these private chats? What's the venue? Yeah. Who remember they don't suddenly appear in the middle of the night like an alien abduction scene. They've got to get in touch with your kids somehow. Yeah. Find out how they do it and step on it. Amen. Just- Charles, let me let me ask you a question about the uh, the previous topic that I wanted you to yeah. make some uh, sure. comments on. A lot of good priests are being canceled. I notice the priests that are being canceled. They're although they're diocesan priests, they do the Latin mass in their parish. Oh. Father Z, Father Heilman, Father Altman, they're diocesan priests that also incorporate the Latin Mass on Sunday, it seems to me these are the ones that are being canceled. Uh, when do you think is going to stop? Why do you think this is happening? Uh, what's your take on this? Well, basically, I've got to go back a little bit in time. Yes. Uh, the people who are currently running the church were the young priests of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And they simply wanted to completely transform the church into something in their own image. Ugly and stupid, I suppose. But they wanted to make it like that. Now, for various reasons, having to do on the one end with divine grace, and on the other hand with John Paul II and Benedict XVI, there was an eruption of adult supervision after Paul VI, which sort of slowed down and stymied to some degree what they wanted to do. And then the reemergence of tradition within approved confines getting really big under Benedict, drove them into a fury and then began a pontificate of one of their own. And so now they've got, especially since uh, trash can custodians, whatever it is, uh, they've had free reign for the past year 
Dominatrix Dominavi, or whatever he called it, the latest. Mm -hmm. um, and this is why these people are being targeted, because if you allow parity of esteem in a parish between the traditional mass and the new mass, even the new mass, and I have to say that when you have that set up, the new mass always improves. Mm -hmm. Of course it does. It just yeah. it just gets better and better. The fear on the on the part of these people is that what Benedict the Sixteenth declared in his motu proprio might come to pass. That in the end the two forms would sort of remerge mm -hmm. with all the reverence of the traditional mass and with the new saints and all the rest of the new one. Yeah. Now those priests who are specifically doing that, this is why with a few exceptions, like Cardinal Seepage in Chicago, the tradition, the strictly traditional borders are not as yet really being attacked because that's all tradition all the time. What these guys are afraid of are people being exposed to tradition who have not been exposed to it before mm -hmm. because they want to kill it. Yeah. Now, what to do about it, I've thought long and hard about this. And I suspect if you're in a parish where that's the case, you might consult a lawyer about suing your diocese. Not on behalf of the priest, because he's an employee of the diocese, and that's as he's told. Your own civil rights. I don't know exactly how that would work. Nor do I. But it's something I think that people should explore, should look into, should consult legal aids. Because, you see, the only thing bishops of that sort understand is money. Yeah. Mm. They really don't understand anything else. Mm -hmm. So if you say, you know what, Your Elegance? You do whatever you want. It's just that you're taking you to the cleaners. Okay? So you do. You ban the Tridentine Mass. You bet. And we're going to sue you for 50 million bucks. How That'll get that? their attention. Ooh, I think so. You think? I think let, let me just jump in and say it seems that... The crisis that we're facing today has, uh, you know, characteristics of what Arianism was in the sense of the effect that it had on the church when you had like 80% of the bishops, you know, uh, Arians. And when Bishop, uh, or should say, Athanasius said, St. Athanasius said, they, you know, give them the church, we have the faith. It seems that we're kind of repeating in some ways. And I, I want to bring it back to your new show on history. Is there a connection in the sense of what went on in the 4th century that we're experiencing in the 21st century? Well, certainly. I mean, and, it, and it's not the first time, and, no. and that wasn't the last time. You know, the, in history in general, church history in particular, yes. there are motifs that repeat themselves over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Because human nature doesn't change. Divine grace doesn't change. And similar situations will call forth similar responses. Mm -hmm. Um and it's, it's, it's just the nature of the thing. You know, one of my favorite episodes in church history, partly because so many people have heard about it due to its kind of grotesque nature, but also because of what it teaches us that people generally don't pick up on, is the famous uh, cadaver synod, oh, Pope Formosus. I've, re I've read about that. Oh, they dug him up and condemned him. Okay, A tell lot us. of people know about this story. Basically... 
Pope Stephen the Sixth. James, I mean Charles, can I interrupt you? Because we're going to take a break. This is a story, folks. Are you're not going to want to miss? And this is the kind of stuff you're going to get with his new show on history and the church and things that you've never learned before. But you'll learn through Charles Cologne's new show here on Virgin Most Powerful, starting in January. Excuse me, September of this year. He's going to be doing it all the way from um, Europe, and um, this is going to be a great show for people to listen to. So we're going to take a quick break, and then he's going to share this story about how a pope was dug up for a. Uh, well, let's just say he uh, he was on on uh, on. Uh, he was in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, he's put on trial. That's a better way of saying it. And trial. this is a famous one, but I think what Charles is going to share is something that nobody's ever heard before, Jess. And I think that's what's fascinating. And again, just to repeat, starting in September, Charles Cologne will have a once-a-week show regarding, Charles, your thoughts again, history and what? Well, the history of the church and its, uh, its triumphs and mm-hmm. its defeats mm-hmm. and why they give us hope of ultimate victory. Awesome. And you're also going to be talking about some of the great events where God intervened in history. And those are going to be fascinating. So we're going to take that break and then come back on the Terry and Jesse show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Folks, I want to thank you again for supporting us here at Virgin Most Powerful. You want to go to our website, it's vmpr.org or call us at 877-526-2151. Stay with us. We're going to have a great story about a pope who went on trial, but he was dead. How'd that happen? Well, you're going to hear more about it when we come back. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, Here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. Charles Cologne, who's going to be doing a new show for Virgin Most Powerful, is in the middle of telling us about a story about a pope that was dug up. But before I turn it back to you, Charles, I'm getting people saying, hey, how can I get a hold of Charles? I love it. Does he have a regular podcast? The answer is yes. And I'm going to actually later have you explain to people how they can uh, watch that and listen to that and also about the new show. So tell us a little bit about the pope who was dug up. Well, it was Pope Formosus, and this was back in the. Um, I'm, I'm always I'm always a bit skimpy on dates if I don't have them stuck in my head. Uh, late 800s, early 900s. Mm-hmm. I don't have my notes, but uh, he was dug up by uh, order of his successor Stephen the Sixth. They belonged to differing, shall we say, political parties in Rome. Well, here's the thing: they dug him up. They had a trial. He's sitting there in the courtroom with the living pope as his judge in pontifical gear, the rotting corpse. Well, he's found guilty of all charges. He's ordered to have to have his uh, to be stripped of his garments. Mm-hmm. The only thing they couldn't take off was his hair shirt, which had uh, melted into him. Mm-hmm. They cut his blessing fingers off him. Wow. And they flung the body into the Tiber. Yes, I've read that. Right. And that's what everybody knows. Yeah. That's the gross part. Mm-hmm. There's a more important element here. Though, and what's much, that? Much more important. Mm-hmm. One of the charges against him was that he, since he'd been bishop of another city before he was bishop of Rome. Yes. And that wasn't done then. See, we're used today to popes coming from other cities. Mm-hmm. But at that time, translating bishops from one city to another was frowned on. 
Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, people don't, you see. It wasn't done, and it had never been the case wow. until Formosus that a bishop of another city was elected bishop of Rome. So Stephen VI declared that because he came from another city, he had never been validly pope. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Oh, he then went on to say that as a result, none of his episcopal consecrations or, or priestly ordinations were valid. Wow. Now that's a heresy. Mm -hmm. Quite apart from being wrong about bishops from elsewhere not being able to be popes, because if that were the case, the see has been vacant for a very long yeah. time. What his, his ruling on the sacramental work of, the, of Pope Formosus was in itself heretical. All right, now what happens? He dies, and his successor, although he doesn't dig up Stephen VI and go through it, his successor quashes the whole thing. Wow. And says, you know, this is nonsense, forget it. But then a few pontificates later, Sergius III, yes. who is a, an ally of the late Stephen VI, mm -hmm. says, just kidding, Formosus really was guilty, and all his ordinations and consecrations were invalid. Oh, my goodness. But see, the problem is that by this time, the formerly reinstated bishops oh my gosh. had themselves consecrated a lot of bishops and right. a lot of priests. Of course, in that time frame. Sure. Yes. And Sergius III's ruling was, of course, in and of itself, heretical. Oh, my gosh. What a mess. And, well, it was. And then he died and was succeeded by someone who was sane. And he said, you know, just kidding, Sergius III was wrong, Bosch it again. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, firstly, it shows you a few things. It shows you that the legal system of the church is not infallible. That's true. The Pope, in exercising his judicial function, is not infallible. Right. And the fact that in that particular case, Stephen VI and Sergius III were not simply wrong in the way the condemnation of Joan of Arc was wrong, they uttered heresies. Mm. Now, this doesn't touch infallibility. No, it doesn't. I can see why. Not one iota. Right. Faith and morals. But it also shows what is not infallible. Mm -hmm. And we have to bear these things in mind because you also have the opposite problem, which is who died and made me judge. <laughs> Where do I get to decide that Stephen VI was heretical? Well, the answer is, in one way I do, in one way I don't. Obviously, if a pope contradicts prior solemn teaching, yes. he's wrong. Of course. That's, That's on the one hand. Yes. But on the other hand, I as a layman, or even I as a priest, if I were one, do not have the authority to discipline him. Right. There's literally nothing I can do until God takes him away to pope heaven. Yep. I mean, there's nothing I can do about him. Right. No, I understand. I still have to lead a Catholic life. It's a holy life. Even if he is That's right. a mud-wrestling she-devil. Yep. It, uh, and mind you, when popes are mud-wrestling she-devils, it's not as much fun as you might think. <laughs> Contrary to what you may have heard. Yeah. So uh, it's important to know this stuff because 
anything that's happened can happen again. Yes. One. And number two, this is sort of sounds like the opposite, but it's connected. No two crises of the church have ever been identical. Right. So until all but five bishops denied the divinity of Christ, mm-hmm. it had never happened before. Right. And it hasn't happened since, although it could. We never had the hundred years they call the pornocracy, the 900s, where the papacy was literally the plaything of powerful sluts, yeah. for want of a better term. Uh, that had never happened before, and it hasn't happened since, but it could. Right. Similarly, till we had three popes and the great schism, we never had. Right. It hasn't happened since, but it could. So similarly, we have really perhaps never had a pope who seemingly wants to destroy the church. From the inside. But that doesn't mean we couldn't. And contrary wise, mm-hmm. once that happens, it probably will never happen again. Yeah. Charles, let me ask you a question as a historian. There's an alleged prophecy written by St. Francis of Assisi. Oh, my gosh. That statement was... It was, uh, oh. it was, I guess it was finally penned in 1882. It's in a book called The Works of the Seraphic Father, St. Francis of Assisi. Yes. It, was, it was penned by another Franciscan. It has seven statements that are very damning that seems to fit like a hand in glove with the papacy of today. In your opinion, is that prophecy, does that have any credibility or is that an urban legend? It's called The Prophecy of St. Francis about a future pope. To be brutally frank, I don't know anything about it. Wow. Oh, okay. Express okay. An opinion. Wow. Well, because I read that years ago, and it, it shook me back when I read it. So we'll have to uh, do on that. But let me just I'll, ask you I'll, this: I'll have to read it. I mean, okay. One, one I can give thing, you a copy of it. One thing yeah. a decent uh, a decent historian never does is express an opinion if he doesn't have enough. Knowledge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Uh, I've, yeah. Obviously. That's wise advice. Yes. <laughs> Charles, just hey, uh, go ahead. Jeff. Let, me, let me just mention one thing before I ask Charles another question. I just want to give kudos to a uh, a Catholic uh, football coach. Just want to mention. Oh, that's important. Terry. Yeah, that yeah that's great. important. There's a Michigan football coach, uh, Jim Harbaugh. Yep. He gave a keynote address July 17 during the Plymouth Right to Life dinner and auction at the Inn at St. John's in Plymouth. Yep. Uh, Jim Harbaugh spoke about how he and his wife, Sarah, promote a whole life ethic, both in their family and the Michigan athletics community, and why they fight to protect life. I I give him, he's a Big Ten winning University Michigan football coach, highly respected in football circles, and it took a lot of huspa, it took a lot of courage and guts for him to come out and openly, you know, advocate for for the abolition of Roe versus Wade and being uh, pro-life. In, uh, in that type of hostile, secular environment. environment. So I just want to give kudos Amen. to Jim Harbaugh, uh, pro-life football coach, uh, and he appears to be a Catholic Christian, by the way. Awesome. He certainly is. Charles Cologne, you're going to be doing this show for Virgin Most Powerful in September. Again, uh, can you give us, we have a minute or two here, can you give us the benefits of people listening to your show? What are they going to get out of it? Well, my uh, hope. Yes. Hope That's is eternal. The, the, basically, there's always the temptation for anybody at any time in any situation yes. to think this is the worst it's ever been. You know, woe is me, woe is me. <laughs> um, 
And sometimes they're right. <laughs> now and then, it is true. But usually, it's not the case. Right. And the point is that people buffeted by all that's going on today are tempted to lose their faith in the church, yes, in the papacy, yes. in the priesthood, in the sacraments. But one of the things that I hope will be made manifest is that Christ's promise to his church has not altered. Right. He still comes down on the, th on the altar every day. Amen. Uh, you know, the six Eucharistic miracles that have been approved in the past 30 years, right. each and every one of them more bizarre than the last, frankly. <laughs> it's true. They are reminders to us that God is still in charge. He does what he likes. Amen. And we're still stuck, like every other human being that's ever been, to conform our will to his or to refuse to. And the fact that our leaders, whether secular or, or uh, religious, may choose not to, it can be inconvenient, it can be annoying, it can even put us to death, but it doesn't change what we ourselves have to do Amen. to fulfill that hope that we've been given. Well said. Jess, finish it up, brother. Thomas, Thomas. Yeah, just, uh, well, I just want to just uh, tell the audience that this is going to be an incredible show because... Charles is going to connect the dots for us with the show. He's going to show us that history doesn't repeat itself so much, but it does rhyme. Yeah. Different, yeah. Play, different pr players, different times, same problems because human nature and concupiscent doesn't change. That's for sure. And uh, I think this is going to be a big boon for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I want to welcome Charles Colom on, onto the team, and I want to thank him very much for, for accepting uh, to be part of the lineup. Well, it's my pleasure entirely. I'll uh, be continuing. Amen. current podcast. Yeah, tell us about the current podcast, because I want people to check that out now. Um, it's uh, off the menu. You can get it at the uh, Tumblr House YouTube good. channel. Excellent. And we're going to be promoting that. They're promoting us. We're, this is a big family, folks. What is our goal? To get to heaven. Amen. And how do we do that, Jess Romero? We've got to live and die in a state of sanctifying grace. There's no other way. Uh, if you're in mortal sin, go to confession as soon as possible. Make sure you're praying your rosary every day. Make sure you're going to Mass as often as possible. Make sure you're reading God's Word every single day. Make no excuses. Be holy or die trying. What else is there? Well said. Charles Cologne, thanks again for joining us here on Virgin Most Powerful. We're all looking forward to your new show starting in September. Check his podcast out now, folks. One more time, Charles, the address for that? It's Tumblr, T-U-M-B-L-A-R, Tumblr House YouTube channel. Very good. Thanks again for joining us, family. We'll see you again tomorrow, same time, same Christ station. God love you.